Gosh, this is so awesome, man. I never in a million years thought something like this would happen. Out of turn number four come the most powerful weight models on the planet, the world of outlaws. I call Scott my dad, and uh, <laughs> nothing like the best in the business, breathing down your throat your first outlaw win. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 34 of Stick Signals. I'm Mike Warren. Alongside Mick, we have a couple of special guests joining us as we are getting ready to recap Super Dirt Week. And before you're asking, I'm, I'm not Ruben. We we decided to give him the week off. Yep. Just, yeah. we're going to talk Super Dirt Week. Ruben was nowhere near us. We go to New York, so I think that's the <laughs> it, it, it makes fair. sense. And we're all here right now. We all just sort of finally got... Back to the office. Uh, I need to get this thing done and up to you guys so you can listen to it. So Mike Warren uh, sitting in the host seat tonight. That's right. And then the first guy we're going to introduce, well, he's actually the one that's not in the office, yes. of course. Uh, Super Dirt Car Series PR coordinator Joe Grabanowski, who we've had a number of times. And we also have the PR god of World Racing Group. I'm glad you got that right. Yeah, well, that, I, if I can't screw that up. <laughs> you're my boss. I can't screw that up. Exactly. So bonus for you. I like it. I like it. I like it. But... So, guys, yeah, Super Dirt Week's over. It's hard to believe. It's fun week, but I know, Joe, I can probably speak for you, and I know, Nick, we've already talked. I can speak yeah. for you. We're exhausted here coming back. Yeah, we just said that the Super Dirt Week hangover is a real thing. Just, I had to just sleep the whole day on the first day back. It was just, <laughs> it's like the adrenaline. Uh, you're just, you're full of adrenaline. I think, yeah, all of us just full of adrenaline all week long, always moving, always doing something. So finally, the first day you get to just do nothing, it's just like, Phew. Yeah, it's just Dead. sort of a collapse. Joe, I can imagine it's the same for you up there as well. Well, I remember even going back as a fan, it was almost just as tiring of a marathon going from satellite events back to the uh, New York State Fairgrounds. Um, so he, there were times where, uh, you know, I didn't go to the satellite events this year, and it was almost a relief. Um, but at Oswego, you know, it was nonstop. Um, you know, we've talked about writing in the media tent when there's uh, race cars around and it just sort of makes you really antsy and your, your foot's tapping and you're, you're writing faster probably than you ever have before just because there's so much energy surrounding you constantly. Um, and it's a lot to keep up with. It definitely is. So we got four races to get to, of course, the Billy Whitaker Cars 200, the Salute to the Troops 150, the Chevy Performance 75, and the Dirt Car Pro Stock 50. We'll kick it off with the Billy Whitaker Cars 200. And before we go anywhere with this, we know what the track was like. We'll just move on from that. Just focus on the racing. And I'll say it was actually a really good race. And it seems like, well, the same guy just likes to keep winning in the month of October. Matt Williamson does it again. Oh, my God. How about just the whole week for him? Like, e even before Super Dirt Week officially started, first he wins the Outlaw 200 at Fulton. Then we go into Super Dirt Week, wins that bird, the Demon 100 at Burton. Then we get in even further into Dirt Week, get to that first satellite event at Weedsport, just... That, I think we need to just really quickly go over that. I think that was one of the best races all year long, hands down. Just three wide, those guys were just going. It was uh, Williamson, Sears, and Larry White. The top three were just, for all 75 laps, just there just battling the whole time. Like, you very, very rarely see that in, in any race. Usually maybe top two guys here and there certain times, they'll go at it. But those three guys, all 75 laps are just going at it just waging war between uh themselves and through lap cars and williamson just splitting uh i think it was sears twice 
in the middle, three wide between him and the lap car. Or just, I don't know, to me, that was one of the best races I've seen in a really long time. A guy's just straight out, just racing, clean racing, hard racing, uh, doing that well. But yeah, obviously, Williamson won that. Then he won at Burton again, finished second in that heat race, second in the Salute to the Troops 150 that we'll get to. And then, yeah, like you said, just goes out back to back, Billy Whitaker, two cars, 200 wins. There's just something about this time of year. Um, you know, 2020 was kind of a wash as far as the rhythm, rhythm of a season. But in 2019, when he won the championship, he went to Brewerton and won late in the year in September. Then he went to Mohawk and he won. Then he won Super Dirt Week and he won the championship. Um, it's just something about this time he gets the ball rolling. Uh, you know, we interviewed him going into Super Dirt Week and he said, you know, this is the time here he's got to make some money to go into the winners because this is this is his uh, you know full time part of his full time job. Um, so it, these mean everything to him. The interesting thing though about the two hundred on Sunday is until he actually got the lead, I'm not going to say he wasn't a factor because he was sitting there in the top five. But you didn't. It was Peter Britton's race to lose, no question about it. I mean, the first hundred and fifty laps, Peter ran almost a perfect race, which is something I don't think a lot of people understand. And then, of course, what happened? What happened was with Tyler Dipple that many of you saw. The contact coming down on lap 151 that ended up sending both of them to the pits and all of a sudden, hey, Williamson's there. All of a sudden he's a leader and it's like, okay, this is going to happen again. Yeah, it's all about putting yourself, just being in that position, um, just being there when it counts. He was kind of like that all week long when um, uh, the satellite event at Brewerton, the Hurricane Harvey, uh, he was... It was kind of almost the same situation. He was in the the top five, top three. They are maybe not exactly the winning car, but Larry White breaks late on, later on in the race, and that puts him in position to win. And we kind of got the same deal here at the Cars 200. But yeah, like you said, Britain was just on a tear. Like it was fun to watch him just maneuver, just find the perfect line in every turn that he would just nail better than everybody. And that just, you could tell that was what was a big factor to him keeping the lead that on 150 laps or so. You know, we race 100 lap races throughout the year, but there's just something about a 200 lap race that just puts things over the top and really anything can happen. And we've been seeing it for since 1972. And this track, you know, was a challenge and it was so in some ways similar to the way the Syracuse mile was a challenge. Um, and, the strategy sort of played out similarly in that you know, Williamson wasn't showing all his stuff. You know, he was, they were just trying to stay uh, smooth and, and save their equipment and, and be there at the end. And that was always the strategy, you know, in, in the, the long races at the mile. Um, so, you know, we did have that flavor brought, brought to it. And uh, you know, the, the drama, the, the contact between uh, Tyler Dimple and Peter Britton, um, you know, I think Dibble, if he had been just patient, he maybe had the car to win. He was the only one running low and, and passing consistently. And uh, I just he's he's out, he's a young gun, he's fiery, and he made a big mistake and um, you know, unfortunately ended both their both of their chances to to win the race. I think too with Williamson just putting themselves in a position at the end of the race, we talk about Billy Decker, twenty-seventh to second. Hard to believe that he ends up on the podium after starting that far back, but you really didn't hear anything from Decker until the same thing with Williamson. You saw, oh, he's second. Yeah, exactly. He that, that whole race seemed like it was all about just uh, being methodical and just having a good strategy, not being super aggressive or, or doing something crazy. It was just about running your race, 
staying calm and having a lot of patience. And, and the guys that did that the best were obviously the ones that were top three up there. Like you said, Williamson kind of just did his thing and found himself in the right position. Billy Decker kind of just did his thing, found himself right there. Uh, Shepard, who was third, you know, he came in and pitted a few times, but still, even then, like he never put himself in a crazy position throughout the race. You could watch, he was just kind of doing his own deal and uh, making passes when he can and not doing anything crazy and putting himself in a position that would take him out of the race. And there he was the top three at the end. It was a uh, a battle of you know man and machine, and uh, you know nineteen cars finished on the lead lap of the race. Um, twenty cars you know f- finished. Uh, Michael Moresca finished twentieth, uh, one hundred ninety nine laps in, and so these guys proved how professional they are, and and could put on a show for the fans, and that's what it was all about. Um, and and they did a fantastic job of of keeping those cars you know, on all fours and, and putting on a show. I think one of the most impressive things is you see a lot of those guys, like the way, obviously the, the way the track was and just 200 laps, just the grind of that race in general, but to see them get out of the cars and look like they could go another 200 laps is pretty impressive too. It is. And now whether they could actually do that or not, that's a whole other, that's a whole other story. I'm sure the adrenaline wore off and they're like, oh my God. But I like, you know, after talking to Williamson and Victory Lane on Sunday, you know, one of the things that I liked is, hey, he he saw what was going to be out there. He adapted to make sure it could work and completely changed his shock program going into the race. Right. And that obviously was a huge key into winning. Yeah, that's what it takes to to win a race like that and shows who has the talent to do it. I mean, that's what that's what being a race car driver is all about. You're not going to get the perfect car, perfect condition every time. It's going out there and adapting to it. Now, with the, with the shock absorbers, Mike, you were down there, so maybe you saw, <clears throat> I know that they had to change the right rear shock on a few of those cars. Were they snapping the shafts, do you know, or just bending the shafts? None of them snapped. They were ball bent. They were like bending the a shafts. A couple of, okay, yeah. I, I hate to say a couple of Perengos because unfortunately he had yeah. a few more than a couple, but they were bent and it was almost identical. It was almost like it was a J. Right. When it was all said. Probably a little running a little aggressive for how uh, rough the track was then. Give or take, yeah. With too much compression. That's a big part of um, the racing up here right now is that the setups are very aggressive. And, and this comes into play at any track. So on Tuesday in the Demon 100, you know, we had the track had taken a lot of rain and had a lot of bite to it from start to finish. And uh, Billy Decker said, you know, with the way the car is set up now, if you start getting unbalanced, you got to hit the accelerator. You got to floor it and, and, and drive out of it. Whereas he's used to letting off. And unfortunately what that does is throws the, the weight of the car off uh, somewhere that they're not expecting and it can cause, you know, the car to go over. Um, so, you know, they kind of use these setups to be fast and to compete, but, you know, obviously it's a choice to, to run them that aggressively. So, you know, they're, they're doing what they have to do to win. It's a big compromise. I have a story from years ago at, at, um, Rockingham. I took Bubba Wallace there and we were in a, a late model UARA race and I got really aggressive with the rear shock package and we were waxing everyone's ass. And then we came around off four, and the, the back of the car was just sitting on the ground because we, <laughs> we bent both shafts. So yeah, it's it's a compromise. You have to decide, you know, where that balance is. And unfortunately, it's a it's a moving number, and it's hard to hit. I think a couple of interesting things is, is there was different strategies throughout the race too. Like for example, Larry White was adamant that it was going to be a race one on tires. Didn't work out to his perfection. He right. pitted he pitted way too late. But to see guys coming in short pitting at certain times, pitting early. 
And then Peter Britton, who at this point you got to assume was going to go all 200 after leading 151. It's just interesting always to see the different strategies on that type of racetrack. Yeah, it seemed like uh, the fuel definitely wasn't a huge concern to some guys, or at least definitely to Britain. Uh, maybe it was just because the way the pace of the race was, they didn't, they didn't have to run super aggressively through the t- turns. They're all kind of taking it a little bit easy in a sense. So maybe that didn't burn as much fuel as years past. Maybe that's what they were banking on. That's what he was hoping for, or just, uh, or he was just praying that he had enough that towards the end if he was going to make it or not. But like I said, it was really interesting to see what guys did and where they ended up after all that strategy like Williamson said I think he played pretty much the same strategy he did the last uh Super Dirt weekend again worked out normally there's a four lap cap on the caution laps for this race but in recognition of the track conditions we did actually um lift that cap but we kept the race moving um ended up having just a, almost exactly the same number of caution laps that we did in 2019 despite that um, and yeah, that, that's also a testament to how well the drivers did on the track. Um, and so in terms of the fuel strategy, I think that he was going to be able to go all the way because it was not a hammer down track. They were having to tiptoe quite a bit too. So I think, you know, he wasn't stretching the lead out massively. Like he, he, there wasn't striking distance of whoever was behind him most of the time. Um, so I think he was just consciously keeping, keeping fuel in that car. It's also, you know, it's it's such a rarity in, in our sport to have pit strategy, right? Yeah. Like, we, this might be, you guys can correct me, this might be the only dirt race that really has pit strategy like that. And it's it's uh, it's a part of the game. And, I, I, you know, it's a game that I played for a long time. So I en- enjoy that element um, of having to decide when do you take tires, do you take tires, when do you take fuels, do you want to even take fuel? Um, it's just an, an, extra, an extra element that adds to the entertainment. And that's one thing, and I, I don't want to get in too much into comparing last we go with the mile, but that's one thing, you know, at the mile, it was always, all right, who's going to pit first and who's going to be able to outlast everybody else on fuel? Now you got to think tires. you got to think other things. And that's what's different about us. We go, which it brings in more strategy than you've ever seen in a dirt modified race. Yeah, I was hanging around uh, Jimmy Phelps bit most of the race, just standing by turn one. And it was interesting to watch them talk strategy and kind of watch what he's doing and see what what other guys are doing and talking about, oh, this guy's doing this. Maybe we should do that. Or maybe, maybe he looks like he's all right here. So maybe let's not do this. And um, obviously he had the, the tire issue anyway. So kind of threw things out the window for them again but it was fun just to kind of stand around that and and see how dirt teams work and strategize for a race like that i think the interesting thing for me too is you know obviously this was the first year and joe i know you can touch on this a little bit more too that you didn't need a quick fill in this race so i'm so used to seeing the normal like nascar pit stops you just throw the gas can in with quick fill and everything but no because of you know you can't lose a lap under caution in the pits, you're seeing guys taking their time and fueling the car. And it's like, all right, how much time do you actually have before they go green, though? Like, it's, it's again, it's just a weird strategy. But at the same time, it does even the playing field just a little bit. Uh, on those guys that aren't using a quick fill, do they just have a, a the cap on top of the fuel t- tank? Or is there a little uh, cap that you have to remove on the body of the car? It's, uh, I got to think about this because I was... It's probably, it. probably six of one half dozen of the other yeah. sort of a choice thing. Yeah. It but, was pretty much off the top of the car. Gotcha. Not the top, but the back deck of it. Yeah. So stick a funnel yeah. in it and pour the gas in. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You could definitely tell the guys, oh, sorry, Joe, I'll just say real quick. You could definitely tell the guys that practiced and didn't practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are some that got the feel in there perfectly. And there are other ones that I think more feel got on the ground than in the car. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah. One of the great things about going to Oswego 
it's neutral territory. It's a special place, but you can still bring your Saturday Saturday night car there, and you don't have to build a, a purpose built rocket for for the mile tracks, and, and you can compete. And this was just another effort to allow teams that might not be able to otherwise compete in the 200 lap race and, and be there. Um, it gives them a legitimate chance. And, um, you know, Matt Williamson, I think in 2018 used his uh, car. He raced all year at, um, at Maryville <laughs> and, and, he, and he finished in the, the top, top five or top 10. Um, so that's a huge new element. And it really brings in a, a lot of, a lot of teams that you might not otherwise see at on the premier stage. Now, before we move on to the Salute to the Troops 150, any final thoughts on the Billy Whitaker Cars 200? I think um, in general, it, it was a really interesting 200 laps to to watch and just see how guys, like you said, it was really a race of uh, strategy and man and machine and just who can get up on the wheel and just get it done. Uh, like, like I said, it was kind of just really kind of amazing to watch Peter Britton just nailed that perfect line uh, th- through some of the holes. Like he he knew exactly how to position his car, where he needed to let off and break or whatever, and he just did it perfectly every single lap. You could just watch him nail the line, nail the line. All some guys maybe drifted up a little bit here, drifted up a little bit there, didn't nail it quite perfectly. It was just really cool to see um, just how that much focus and attention to detail needed to be done in that race to be successful. Yeah, Matt Shepard finishing on the podium and locking his eighth championship. Uh, he is now mathematically the champion uh, with two races left at the at the NG, NGK NTK World Finals. Um, so that's certainly notable. Um, and uh, Kerry Terrence, I just want to give some notice to him. He finished really well and had a great super dirt week. And it's, it's great having cars come from all over the place, especially, uh, you know, even the North country. Um, and, uh, it was great representation there for, for him and, uh, looking forward to next year, having uh, all of our Canadian fans down too. So that's, that's on our mind. I was just going to say that touching on the North Country in Canada, they definitely were missed this weekend, no doubt about it. Whether it was the car counts, even the camping areas, you see not as full as they usually right. are. I know you can attest to that. Yeah, yeah, the camping, it was down, but I mean, a big piece of that is the Canadians held onto their tickets because they, they didn't want to lose their camping spot for 2022. So, yeah, they were definitely missed. And uh, we had a fair amount of Canadian um, competitors still, and there, there was some Canadian campers, but it was just logistically kind of a pain for them to get down there. So, speaking of Canadian competitors, as we move on to the salute to the troops, one fifty. Actually, one thing I don't think we mentioned uh, a little bit of history making for Williamson. He's the first driver to repeat wins as we go for the big blocks. That's true. No, you're absolutely right, and you just don't think of it because of that break in the that one year break, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But you're right; he's the only one to do it so far, which is crazy. But going to the salute to the troops, one fifty now. Stuart Friesen. Now, if you would have told me there was something that Stuart Friesen hadn't done in a big block or in a big block or small block modified at this point, I would have said you were crazy. Especially if you would have told me he hadn't won the Salute to the Troops 150 yet. Well, knocked that off his bucket list. He finally picked that up and what was he put on a clinic of strategy on Saturday night, no question about it. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it was crazy just going into that event, looking up the stats and looking at who won who's won the Salute to the Troops 150 before, and it's like, wait. Where's Friesen? Something, something's wrong here. How is Friesen's name not on here already? Like, obviously, he's finished second a couple times, but it was crazy to think that it was just something he hadn't won just of how much uh, success he's had at uh, just Super Dirt Week in general, whether it's Syracuse or Oswego. He's 
just been dominant a lot of times. So yeah, it, it was uh, cool to see uh, another kind of mark in the history book checked off for him and uh, just another fun race too. It was. And I mean, I, I think the interesting thing was until he pitted early and I don't remember the lap was all of a sudden you, you look and he's just ripping the outside of the speedway. Yeah. He's just blowing by everyone. It's like, okay, at that point you knew Stewart was probably going to win this race. Yeah, it's impressive because notably they don't normally race uh, a Dirkart 358 motor, which you know is has a RPM restriction, and that takes a different style of racing. There's a lot of momentum involved. Um, you know, when your car gets upset, you can't put your foot in it the same way you do a big block or a less restricted small block engine. Um, so for him to come out there and and do something that he doesn't actually do all year long is is definitely uh, an impressive feat now we had that and of course matt williamson finishes second shouldn't really surprise anybody at this point i mean he he again he just he played the strategy almost perfectly just Stu was a little bit better yeah he was just an, another case of just being there when it counted uh, obviously he led uh pretty early for a while uh made that pit stop i think the same time as stewart and a few other guys i was kind of surprised he didn't make his way up through the field as fast as uh, those other guys, um, like you said, Stewart kind of found the top and just started ripping. Matt didn't really find his his line there quite as well. Um, but this kind of threw other strategies and guys falling out, put himself in the right spot at the right time. He didn't really have anything for the lead at the end, but um, obviously Michael uh, Mareska put on a pretty good challenge for Stewart, but unfortunately um, at the scales, he is a little bit light. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Billy Dunn winning the uh, Dirt Card 358 Modified Series Championship, um, you know, with the help of his crew tearing down, tearing some uh, pieces off his car that were uh, otherwise hanging off. Um, he was involved in that late race melee, and uh, his car ended up looking like a USAC Silver Crown car by the end of it. Um, you know, he crossed the finish line and had enough points to finish ahead of uh, Jordan McCready, who... Um, you know, has been been there all year. So shout out to, you know, Billy Dunn and his crew for, for that uh, iconic finish there. I guess, you know, we'll be seeing those pictures probably going into the future of, of, of that car. Um, but that was a pretty exciting finish to the points championship. Yeah, I feel like that car needs to be in, like, the Dirt Motorsports Hall of Fame <laughs> now or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That, that was just cool. Like, you looked at his car and like, oh, well, he's done. But nope, pulled in. Guy just started ripping panels off the thing, going to work on it, and nope, get back out there. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, you said, like it, it was just like it was a chassis on wheels with an engine on it pretty much at the end. It, it was cool to see them. Yeah, that was the definition of never giving up pretty much. And the good thing at the end of the day, probably a good thing he didn't finish in yep. the top five. Because I don't know yeah. if he would have been numb. <laughs> yeah, if he would have made weight. Yeah, I mean, you would think that the officials would take a little bit of that into account. Uh, I thought it was sort of funny in the broadcast. They were talking about how they, Billy had asked them to uh, get the car off the other one. Like asked Larry Woodruff, "Hey, can you take that car to the pits?" And Larry's like, uh, "The one on top of the other car." <laughs> Rich, Rich Flex face during that hit. I was standing right behind the cameraman. I it took me everything to just stop stop laughing because he's right. Because that's exactly what Woody did. It's like, you guys can take it out and do that. I just don't think you're going to make it. Because that car was beat up. Yeah, no it question was destroyed. about it. It really is impressive that he held on for the rest of that race. Absolutely. I was watching with yeah, uh, Kenny Tremont in the in the media center when they were working on it. And I said, you know, is he in danger of uh, making not making weight there? And they said, yeah, he sure is. Um, so, yeah, I think 
uh, to your point, Mick, if he had crossed the the line in the top five and and weighed out, if he was light, he was light. Doesn't it doesn't really matter? I don't, I don't believe how much you lose off the car. Be interesting how different it drove without all those panels on it. Like uh, yeah. obviously, it, it's not a huge wing like a sprint car where it's a huge incredibly drastic change but there there is still uh, a lot of uh, aerodynamics involved with the way they have those panels on there he's missing his roof he's missing some of the the side panels so i'd be very curious to see how that thing drove with a lot of that not on there too I, i've got to assume that those um horizontal surfaces the the inner panning yeah. and, the, and then the roof and all that that's a that's a fair amount of downforce and and not only that is keeping the air on top of the car rather than building up underneath which creates lift so uh, I'd say that that'd be a pretty hard car to handle. There. Yeah, that'd be a handful at the end there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe if you you could switch the uh, setup to something more like a, a silver crown, they might be all right. But <laughs> just throwing it in backward, that would have been yeah. awesome to see. Just, just, just throwing a thing in there. And there's got to be pictures of that somewhere. Um, well, dirt car racing took off uh, the spoiler off of the, the Sportsman Modified, and that was somewhat, somewhat controversial. Um, it just seems like the, the Sportsman the, the idea is that the sportsmen have been very locked down on the track and um, yeah, that, that just goes to show how hard that these racers push these setups and, and getting better. Um, they made them almost too perfect at this point. So we took the spoiler off and, and to loosen them up. So I would imagine that losing almost every body panel off the car would must have really thrown the balance of it. Speaking of sportsmen, we'll, uh, we'll transition to the seven Chevy performance 75 next and, Interesting race, to say the least. First off, 102 sportsmen. Even without the Canadian competitors, we got into three digits. It just shows the sportsman support of this event is unbelievable every year. Yeah, the sportsmen in just the Northeast in general is such a huge class. Like, I remember it's I – don't, I don't know exactly what it was that – made that grow whether it is the way the engines change or some something somewhere something the price change on something but i remember uh just me i think it had to be maybe the the mid 2000 maybe 2010 ish or, or something like that it just seemed like everybody started moving up to the sportsman it just blew up i remember racing at uh Burton speedway weekly they had to add basically a second feature for the sportsman every night just because they were getting so many of them and they didn't want to send all those guys home so they had to come up with something just to to accommodate Come, yeah, sorry, accommodate these guys. Um, and they just kept coming every year still. It's, you know, ever since they made that switch to crate engines, yeah, it, used to, be, it to be. used to be an open sportsman division pretty much everywhere, which is closer to a 358 in that situation. But ever since they went to the GM 602 crates, I, I tell you what, it's, they're all coming and they've all been exciting races and it's one heck of a stepping stone class. Yeah, I cover the uh, Hoosier Racing Tire Weekly Championship throughout the year in the Northeast. And so I see every dirt car sanctioned feature finish um, up here. And, you know, tracks like Fulton and Bruton have been running double and triple features. Uh, Can-Am has added, you know, like a like a B-Main type race. Land of Legends has added a, a B-Main with a purse and stuff like that to thank these guys for coming out so you don't just send them home. Um, it's it's really exciting to see them filter into the, the dirt car uh, regional uh, series racing, um, you know, we go out there, we, we do timed hot laps. So they, they get that experience of qualifying for their heat races. Um, you know, we'd run the whole program just like a, a big block race. 
And uh, I'm watching these guys, you know, run regions all over and then they come together at the fall championship and you can really tell that these are the best of the best guys. And uh, you start to pick out who's, who's going to be moving up next. And really the best of the best on Saturday afternoon was Zach Sabaka, 19th to first. Now I had said, I thought the winner was going to come between 10th and 20th in that race. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take that and enjoy that. But I, I didn't think it'd be 19th, and it was just a heck of a drive by him and a guy that's probably been one of the better drivers in Central New York and the Northeast in general. The Sportsman, like, like you said, it's definitely a, a great series, a stepping stone series for guys to come in and grow and learn. I think Zach is definitely one we're going to see in the small blocks and big blocks here in the coming years and be a, a really strong competitor just because he's been that uh growing driver and just improving every year and putting his name out there more. You, you hear that name a, a lot more as years go on. Um, and like we've seen even Kyle Emmon who won it last year, he's up in the 358s now um, and just moving on. A lot of guys have done that. Matt Shepard was one of them as well. So I'm pretty sure with getting this win, I think that's even going to, we'll see him propel his career even more now. I think the, the ladder system that they have in the Northeast is probably one of the best structured in the country. I mean, I guess you sort of have it in open wheel stuff with, with sprint cars as well, but um, just the fact that it's essentially the same car and you're just changing a couple components on it up your up your ladder is, is really cool, and it's got to be make things a lot more affordable. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know a lot of guys, like uh, I raced Mod Lights for a, a long time, and a lot of guys that did that have moved up into the Sportsman. Some of them went from that to the 358s and then Big Blocks. It's it's like you said, they're all kind of similar in a way. Also, they, if you want it, you can really compare it to open wheels. Uh, the Mod Lights are kind of like the midgets of that division. Then the Sportsman are kind of like the 305s. Then the 358s are kind of like the 360s. The Big Blocks are like the 410s. So it, it's, it's that kind of nice, clean, even stepping stone where you're, you're in something similar that feels similar every time it's just a little more power a little more power yeah. i mean i think it'd be closer just to keep it on you know we are in the late model podcast I just want you to remind <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's closer, <laughs> closer to the late models you know where you go from like 602 to 604 to you know the 90 crate division so you get the supers yeah just come out and say that 90 90 crate it feels like it, it feels <laughs> like it on some it feels like it on some nights though yeah yeah but no, it's the sportsman being a huge stepping stone. But the thing I like about it is you got guys that have maybe two, three years into racing, and there were guys that have been racing for 20, 25 years in that division. Do you really get, I don't know if eclectic's the right word here, but an eclectic mix of different regions, different oh, yeah. ages, different styles of driving, and it, it's really the most diverse division that we have in Durkar. Yeah, let's not uh, forget that it is fun. It is still a, a powerful race car um, compared to your street car or anything else. And um, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of camaraderie. Um, you get to do everything that the, that the big guys do. Um, the same stage at Super Dirt Week. Um, and I can tell you by you know, looking through social media, I can see how proud drivers are with their families and their dads and their teams that they were out there on that stage and it means it means a lot to them and um i'm glad that we we can provide it yeah that definitely can't be understated enough just how big of a stage it is for some of these guys that are just working out of their garage at home and now they're coming to this basically this super bowl daytona 500 of their career right here and just putting themselves on a huge stage in front of everybody now even on dirt vision now so even bigger audience that they get to present themselves to and their sponsors and everybody and not to mention by making this race, you're making probably the toughest field to make oh, yeah. all year. I mean, I know Fulton Sportsman the week before at the Outlaw 200, that's also one of those really tough ones. But if you don't come out and have a decent lap, decent two laps on Friday afternoon, you are behind the eight ball for the rest of the weekend. No question about it, because only 
I believe 40 guys got in at 102. We sent 62 cars home. Yeah, it's like just crazy to think about. This is the best of the best throughout the country. One spot. And just imagine what that number is going to be next <laughs> year when the Canadian teams come back. And 50th yeah. anniversary. And the 50th. Exactly. Anytime you have five last chance showdowns and it is win and you're <laughs> in, it, it is a tough field to make the cut. In. Definitely. Now, Unfortunately, with the Pro Stocks, as we move on to the Dirt Car Pro Stock 50, this was one of the ones that not having the Canadian drivers really did hurt the car count on this one, only 31. And there, there's a big contingent up there races, Autodrome Granby, Autodrome Drummond, and, uh, and those Canadian tracks up there. But still a good race. And, you know, these guys put on a show again as Chad Jezio picks up his first win at Oswego, which not really surprising because you kind of see how storylines can develop all year. He had more wins than anybody. So it kind of kind of fitting at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, it came in as a favorite and showed why. <laughs> uh, obviously, there there was a little bit of uh, a question at the end going through uh, some tech inspection, but it came out all good. And the wins hints what's got to feel even better to know you, you did it that way. Uh, you, you beat the best of the best in that, and you, you even uh, beat the CEO of World Racing Group, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is a good point. But, you know, Jason Casey coming home second. The Capital Region guys kind of stayed strong in the top three of this one. But... I say that, and, you know, a lot of the drivers are from the Capital Region at the end of the day, and the North Country had a few more as well, because that, that's where it's really three big regions in Pro Stocks. The Capital Region run, runs them. You have the Can-Am area, and then the Canada. So the Capital Region guys just, because a lot of them run Lebanon Valley, which is a half-mile high bank track. So this is the closest really they get to the same type of track all year. If anyone's maybe been watching the Dirt Car Pro Stock Series this year over the last couple of years, you'll, you'll see that the cars are starting to look a little different in terms of the way they're set up. Um, you'll see the left rear um, there's a lot of space between you know the fender and, and the and the tire um, and that's because of the way they're setting them up and uh, very aggressively. Um, now, Jessio does not seem to be using as aggressive of a setup. So that was something I was watching for was, you know, what was going to work, a more tr traditional um, you know, look, uh, or, or was one of these cars with the, you know, the jacked up left rear where they're able to make it real twitchy and, and uh, responsive in the turns, um, so, you know, which one was going to pre prevail. And, you know, as we saw, Jessio uh, did it. And, you know, this one comes, there was a scary incident in this one too, Rich Crane going over on his roof. You don't see pro stocks go over that often. That's for sure. It, it was scary. Glad to see he was okay. But uh, I, I really feel bad for the guy in the seven 11, cause it's a good group out of Connecticut that comes out and it just, you know, it, it's probably, he had a good shot to win that race. I think too. It shows how strong and well-built these cars are too. That walked anybody that was involved in anything this week walked away with, uh, really no issues. And, uh, it's a good Testament to how, uh, just the the good chassis builders we have up there and around and just how well the safety has advanced with these cars in all divisions really so that's a big four races from napa auto parts super dirt week 49 but i think nick i know one thing is i don't think a lot of people understand exactly what goes into making this event happen you guys see what as fans you know you see the on-track product you see all the banners up and all that but there is a lot that goes in and the planning starts well let's put it this way the planning for the 50 has already begun yeah i mean just getting organized and talking about this year's super dirt week happened like 
two or three months before it even started. There were meetings every week talking about every little aspect from, all right, where, where are our vendors going? All right, when, how are we doing uh, camping load? And who's going to be there to help that? When are we getting tickets uh, set up? And when, when are they going on sale for resale? Who's going to do that? Uh, who's going to be here when for to help with parking? And just, there's so many little aspects to this, and everybody has a hand in just so much of it that it, it's almost a 24-hour thing. There, there's never uh, you're never not working on Super Dirt. We're never not thinking about it, and really, we're we're still working on, like you said, the 50th right now. It's going to be a whole year process going to the, the 50th, just getting it ready. And by the way, we're doing this on top of what we're already doing. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not like <laughs> it's not like we're just hey, we have a team that's just Super Dirt Week. That's not the case. We're all in on Super Dirt Week while yeah. doing the jobs that we actually have to do. It's it's the most all hands on deck uh, event we have as a company, even with dirt car nationals being at our, our flagship, our track that we own in Volusia and world finals being such a th- big thing, like super dirt week has everybody there. Rochelle from, from accounting's up there. I mean, it, it's, it's all hands on deck and it's really, a, it's a stressful load on this company, but it's pretty, um, I don't know, heartwarming is the right word, but it, it's cool to watch everybody come together from different parts. I mean, you know, I have nothing to do with the Northeast for 340 whatever days out of the year. And then we're all, you know, I'm up there uh, helping with technology and stuff like that. So it, it's it's a big effort. And uh, I think the product shows that the uh, our hearts are in it. It definitely does. And, you know, there there's a lot of people that, you know, they put their heart and soul into this. And Jeff Hockman. Definitely the yeah, one. Definitely. Yeah, you, you can just talk to him about him, and you'll see it in the eyes yeah. <laughs> as he starts talking about <laughs> how much it means to him. Uh, it, it's for good reason. It, it, like you said, it's a lot of work from a lot of people. And uh, like we, we joked earlier on before when we just got started with this, there, there's the Super Dirt with Kangover is a real thing. It's just because there's so much effort and so much that everybody throws themselves into this event to make it as big and successful as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And even going to the um, the announcer team, you know, Shane Andrews and, and Tim Baltz, uh, Mike Warren, yourself, uh, the whole Dirt Vision crew, um, one, of the, one of the repeated positive notes I got throughout the week was how great the broadcast team was. And uh, my brother and my dad were there and they told me that, you know, the salute to the troops 150, they'll always remember. And they enjoyed it immensely because they were able to listen on a radio to the broadcast and, and they felt so informed of all the strategy and everything that was going on. And, um, you know, they, they loved it. So that, that, that's a forever memory for, for those guys. And, um, he owes it a lot of it to, to you guys, um, and how you were able to color everything in. And it's just a great area as a whole too. I mean, you, as a fan, there's so many things you can do. And I mean, obviously we want you at the racetrack all the time. There's no question about that, but if you, you know, if you need to go to Walmart or something and grab something, it's Walmart's right, right there. It's right yeah. there. I mean, you don't, you don't get that with a lot of racetracks. You and go to. Oswego's little downtown is, is really quaint and picturesque you know it's right there on this beautiful little river there's like cool little boutiques and, and cafes you can go to in the morning i mean oswego has a lot going on it's a great place to visit um and then go to a dirt race yes and you know the lake's right there too yeah that big lake yeah yeah it's um it's a little windy at times yeah. sometimes pack luckily we didn't even need a heavy jacket which Super surprised about that. Super cool that we had awesome weather all week long. Yeah, coming from the but, guy that actually still wore his on Sunday. Degrees. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like you say, Oswego is really a growing little town. Uh, there's a lot of cool things to do there, and um, I think it, with I think it continues to embrace 
uh, stupider week even more. Like you see the flags, uh, a champion just going like all the way down Bridge Street and uh, the, the school starting to get a little bit more, do a little bit more with us with uh, some businesses are starting to do a little bit more. We're doing a little bit more with them. I think it's even going to grow even more next year because we just continue to make more connections and get involved with different ways. And um, I think um, the the parade through the, during, during Dirt Car Day was one of the biggest parade, uh, biggest crowds you've seen for that parade. Just so many people came out to to see the cars and celebrate, and so much effort was put into uh, doing that. And the the announcement that we did after the parade with the mayor and Brian Carter about the 50th being there again next year, unveiling the the pace car. There are so many people that came to that too. It just shows that a uh, sweet that even though. There's a lot of sadness around the Circuit Smile not being there that a lot of people aren't embracing uh, Oswego Speedway and Super Dirt being at Oswego and just kind of building it into what it is, racing's biggest party and making it a big party. And and it needs to be in a place like Oswego so that you have all of those amenities because you can't bring this many people and competitors and fans and not have a Walmart nearby, not have a gas station (laughs) nearby. Not have nothing to do. Yeah, no, it needs to be in a a place like Oswego. We uh, drove past the track one day to the little gas station up the road, sort of outside. I guess it's in Scriba or Scriba. Yeah. And uh, I went in and the lady was just like, I can't keep anything. Like I'm selling out all my stuff. I wasn't prepared for this. I had no idea. And I was like, you know, oh, you know, sorry. She's like, no, it's great. Send them <laughs> back. Tell them we make pizza too. <laughs> yeah, and you know, with the beautiful region that we're in and the beautiful racetrack um, facility that we were able to play in, um, we have some truly talented photographers that help us show off all of that. Um, and yep. Mick, I know you were working on a special project that you know, I don't know if you want to sort of maybe reveal that or, or uh, give a link to that um, through here. But yeah. uh, it's a great thank you to our some of our best photographers. Yeah, I think one thing that sort of fascinates me about Super Dirt Week is, and I don't know if by numbers it's the most photographers we have in an event. I think Knoxville and World Finals probably rivals it. But it's become sort of this... Um, you know, I don't know what the right word for it is, but a lot of photographers go there and it's it's um, like a crown jewel event for them to shoot. And so, yeah, I put a little piece together with uh, Tom Morris, Matt Sullivan and Quentin Young, um, three of the younger photographers uh, to just kind of highlight what they do to bring the action to to fans. You know, we can do it with digital photography in ways that, you know, our ancestors could never do. <laughs> you know, they, you know, the old timers still got the moment and they still had the the. Um, instinct to shoot when they were shooting but now there's so much you can do with the digital camera to bring out colors and, and ambiance that uh just wanted to highlight that so yeah that that piece is actually gonna go up as soon as we get done recording here i've got to go finish some credits and be done with it yeah and it's tom morris not todd morris sorry about that <laughs> did i, I say todd I, no you did i did and oh. I, I, kept calling, I don't know why i just want to keep calling him todd for more for some reason but it's tom morris so uh yeah but tom is a great photographer like all those other guys and they're, they're a huge part of super Dirt week for us like obviously we're writing the stories about what happened but their photos really tell another side of the stories they capture those those moments that uh maybe we miss and there's just going through photoshop their shelter where they put all of our photos. There's some just awesome photos. Yeah, there's guys some got this amazing year. Just photos. Really awesome stuff. And I think it's the and you guys again could correct me, but it's the only event that we have where you see a photographer scrum like you see at like a NFL game, like the Super Bowl or something, like where the photographers are actually kind of getting in there and nudging oh, yeah. each other and trying to like get the better spot. And there's a little competition to it, and I, I like that part of it too. 
Yeah, you, you don't want to be in the back end dealing with it like some of us have to be. No, uh, being in the media tent receiving the pictures is fine. See, well, of course, me, I'm used to just get, getting one from my own personal photographer on the on the late model tour, so That's it's true. a little different. But We really need to, to get JC up there. Uh, we need to throw down the gauntlet and have him come up and, and let him go toe-to-toe with those Northeast boys. Yeah, I think maybe we should have just a friendly uh, photographer who, who can get the best Super Dirt Week uh, yeah, photo yeah. of the week or something like that. We could do like a scavenger hunt. Here's the 10 type of shots we need you yeah. to get. Yeah, and maybe have like a little art show on the final day and like get their pictures <laughs> printed and display them. Everybody can vote on who had the best Super Dirt Week photo right. of the week or something so like an that. An impromptu art gallery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> Well, Nick, Joe, thanks for hopping on with us again on this episode of Six Signals. Always fun to talk Super Dirt Week. I mean, and like we said, we're getting ready for the 50th next year already. Yeah, there's already a lot of work, a lot of ideas being thrown out there, uh, things that you'll already start seeing. I think next week we're going to start doing, unveiling uh, like top 50 drivers uh, of uh, Super Dirt Week. That'll be all year long going to Super Dirt Week next year. So, uh, like you said, Super Dirt Week never rests. It's, it's, uh, It's a beast that... It's a beast. It's the beast of the Northeast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all your it, it never hibernates. Yeah, it's such an exciting moment to have everybody from the company come up and, and be a part of this event. It is Christmas for me. Um, I look forward to it every year. And with the 50th right here, I'm I'm working. We're working every day towards that and it's going to be the biggest and it's going to be the best well we want to thank nick graziano and joe grabanowski for joining us here on stick signals always fun to talk about super dirt weekend like we've always said we'll reiterate it again we're getting ready for next year race fans do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on halloween it's shaving your balls with anything other than manscaped when it comes to below the waist grooming there's no need to carve your pumpkins this halloween because manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience Go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar and join the 2 million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code STICKSIGNALS21. Race fans, also don't forget that cold weather is coming and so is the NGK NTK World Finals. Make sure you get your hoodies, jackets, and all of your merchandise you'll need for that weekend at store.worldofoutlaws.com. Thanks again for joining us here on Six Signals this week. Coming up next week, we'll take a look at the Dryden Extreme Dirt Car Series and get you ready for the Dryden World Short Track Championships coming up very soon at the Dirt Track at Charlotte. And maybe next week we'll let Ruben out of the penalty box and he'll come back. For everyone here at Six Signals this week, I'm Mike Warren. We will see you next week as we get ready to roll with more racing action. 